Welcome to The Author Show, where we feature new authors and books from fiction to self-help and everything in between. You'll find it all at theauthorshow.com. That's theauthorshow.com. And now let the show begin. Hi, this is Linda Thompson, your host of The Author Show. For those who love thrillers and conspiracies, you're really going to like our show today. Author Brian Huey introduces us to his book, Perpetual, where two different generations are involved in the same discovery. What it all boils down to is, who do you believe and who do you trust? Brian joins us today to share more about Dr. Johnson, Matthew, and Maria in Perpetual. Brian, welcome to The Author's Show. Thank you for having me, Linda. Brian, will you give us a quick overview of Perpetual? Well, at this stage of the release, we're going to do something a little bit different than maybe what everyone is used to. You know how when you're reading a book and you get to the end and there's a cliffhanger, like with the Italian job, you basically say, where's the answer? Where's the end? Where's the next book? Where's the next movie? In the old days, it would take years to see that. Today, everyone's watching Netflix and they're able to buzz through 20 different episodes within a week. So we thought, well, maybe this time, instead of bringing out one book and then the next book and the next book, we'll bring the whole trilogy out at one time. Well, that was a much bigger endeavor than I anticipated and took many years. So we're releasing the whole trilogy at one time. And Perpetual is about dreamers and families. It's about overcoming greed and evil. And probably the worst thing we all deal with, the status quo. So within Perpetual, you're going to find some wonderful characters that you immediately fall in love with. Most every reader that has read the first edition of book one, they just love Matthew and they just love Maria and follow them through everything that they go through fighting against principalities and powers much greater than themselves. I think that sort of gives you an idea of what Perpetual is about. What served as the inspiration for your storyline in Perpetual? (laughs) That's too big to try to bring out at this time. I'll try to summarize it. And you know that for me, that's going to be very difficult. When I was a young man, I was in the back of the station wagon and mom was in this really long line. And it was something called the oil embargo. I had no idea what that was. And then years later, I was on spring break and I ended up in Miami. At midnight, we meet this character that describes himself as Cracker Jack. And he had a big box of Cracker Jacks in his hand. And then later on, as I got into business and and ran an advertising agency and ran companies and did different things, just so many things happened that you just have to believe the quote, reality truly is stranger than fiction. (laughs) So all those things kept going around and around and around. And I got pneumonia back in 1993. And I sat down with yellow pads and I just began writing the story starting with the oil embargo, bringing in Cracker Jack, all these characters start coming together and it developed into this massive work manuscript that my first editor said, you're going to have to break that down into a number of books. (laughs) So I spent the next decade just breaking them down into 10 different books and the first three are the trilogy. (laughs) Wow. Did you write your book for any specific type of audience? I think I was writing originally for the dreamer, entrepreneur, that person that's trying to develop something new and get it out to market. It could be a book, it could be a coffee shop, it could be a new widget. And then coming up against all these different 
adversaries that they couldn't even possibly imagine, government agencies or just the fact of putting the store in the wrong location. And I thought I was writing toward that audience. And the audience that I ended up with in the first book when it came out was quite diverse. My youngest being an 11-year-old who wrote me and said, I just love these characters. I don't understand the science behind it, but I'm going to have that in school next year. (laughs) And then I've had someone 90 years old saying, when are you coming out with an audio book? I am completely into this book, but the type is too small. And I just love these responses from the readers. But I can kind of capsulize it with this book signing and reading that I did with 25 female lawyers. (laughs) So I went and I basically was amazed once they all read the first book, the first edition of Perpetual, which came out 10 years ago. After they read it, they each had different ideas of who the characters were, what the themes were, what the plots were, what the real conspiracy was. Do your characters, Dr. Johnson, Matthew, and Maria, appear in all of your books? Yes and no. One of the things that I get emails about is, are you going to bring this character back? And I have to chuckle because in a lot of cases, there is no way that character is coming back or it will be science fiction. (laughs) So I have a lot of characters, a lot of subplots. Dr. Meacher wrote one time, and he's a reader out of California, and he said, Perpetual is not for the faint of heart because there is so much going on. But with good editors, we've been able to bring it all together into a, a myriad of suspense and with conclusions. Very interesting. So tell me, do you think that there is any other author who may have influenced your style of writing? I can only go by what others have said because I didn't realize that I was influenced by Ludlum and Clancy and Clive Cussler and all those till people came back and said, oh, that reminds me so much of the Bourne series by Ludlum or one that was the greatest compliment to me that I received was that it was like Anne Rand's Atlas Shrugged. And I thought, how could that be? And I could see where I write a lot with historical fiction. And one of my readers wrote me and said, what I hate about your writing is, and he gave me five stars, but he said, what I hate about your writing is, I can't tell what is real and what is not. That's quite a compliment. (laughs) So do your characters take on traits of people you know, or are they purely imaginary? I will not answer that question on the grounds it may incriminate me. However, (laughs) a lot of people ask that question, and I have a Michael Crichton answer for that. Michael Crichton wrote after the book Prey, he said, everything in here is true except that which is not. Wow, that's a pretty deep thought there. So let's go back to your storyline. You write about the control of perpetual energy. Do you think this is something that is currently happening or something that could ever happen? I get a lot of letters from people in my email that they are into, they may have graduated MIT, they're into science, they're into different things like that. And it's not a science book by any means, but there is a lot of idea of science in there. And they send me an article. They say, I know a guy like that. And I know somebody that did this. And others will write and say, how did you know this was going to happen? I chuckled because I said, well, I wrote it a long time ago and I was able to edit it recently. (laughs) So 
<laughs> well, Brian, your book cover is really pretty scary to me. Who designed your cover, and what were you thinking when you chose this graphic? Ben Hutchins is an amazing artist here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he listened to the summaries of the books, and he came up with a number of different ideas, and this one really hit me because it is the evidence board. It is the idea that we don't know what's going on. There's a lot of things happening. We have it all up on the wall, and now we have to figure out what happened, who did it, and how it affects our lives. How much research is involved when you're writing a book like Perpetual? One of the many places I could have gone early on would have been history and ended up teaching history possibly because I just love to research. So many times I will start writing and expect to maybe get two, 3,000 words down and I'll end up with almost nothing because I realize after three, four, five hours, I've been researching you know, for that whole amount of time. So yes, yeah, so a tremendous amount of research, fact checking, making sure that A plus B equals C, or if it doesn't, why doesn't it? And trying to go back and correct that and make sure that there's a path to all of this. Yeah, a lot of research. Have you always wanted to write suspense thrillers? No, I actually was going to be that kid that jumped on a bus at 12 years old, I actually tried to do that and go to Orlando, Florida and work for Disney for free. And my English teachers in the high school are absolutely laughing when they look and say, really? Because yeah, grammar was not my thing. So I found out something that might surprise a lot of people, editors. <laughs> oh, you have to love your editors. I didn't know about them. And so when I speak at schools, I always ask them, I say, everybody raise your hand if you really love to write a story or tell a story. Oh, all these hands go up. And then I say, okay, all those that just love grammar and two hands will go up. I'll pause and I'll say, okay, everybody look at those two because you are going to need them. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great analogy. <laughs> Brian, is there a message in your book that you would really like your readers to remember? I think there is. I want them to get into book one so they can get to the end of book one, which was finished originally the first edition 10 years ago, and to what thousands of readers sent me the same message, truly. They sent me the message, they said, where is book two? That has just drove me insane for the last 10 years. So they can get to the end of book one and I can say, hey, book two is already out. They'll get to the end of book two and get on the cliff, say, where's book three? And they can get to book three. <laughs> So how many books do you have planned? Well, there's 10 in the series, and the 10th might end up being the 6th, because 4 and 5 are planned to come out next year. And then I think I'm going to take number 10 and bring it back to number 6, just in case I don't live long enough. I call it the Stig Larsen Syndrome. I'll have to explain that another time. <laughs> Brian, I'm having way too much fun here. So will you please read for us a short excerpt from Perpetual? I'm going to do something a little unusual with that, Linda. I'm going to read a real short excerpt from all three books. And it'll show, I think, the reader how the three tie together like a mosaic, like someone knitting a really big afghan and all the different squares and parts to it. Prologue, Revelations, March 17th, 1995. Matthew Thaddeus Eaton sat in a tow truck beside Marcus 
the manager of the Miami Beach Shell Station. The VW Bucks hung off the back of the truck. It was after midnight, and they could hear the faint sound of the South Beach entertainment coming to life a few blocks away. He helped Maria into the cab, turned his attention to the man standing down the street, Cracker Jack. He was a head taller than the two FBI agents. They talked in front of the Cuban diner where Matthew and Maria had spent the last hour mesmerized by Cracker Jack's tale of intrigue. Marcus maneuvered the wrecker out of the parking lot with the VW bus in tow. Gunfire erupted. Bahar, Marcus yelled for them to get down. Matthew pushed Maria toward the floor as a bullet tore through the door. The gears ground from first to second and more cracks of gunfire sounded. Book two, prologue, September 8th, 2001. I thought you were dead, Harrington said. I was dead, Estebanez thought, and I liked it that way. Felix Zabo Estebanez was one of the 29 unnamed fallen agents in the Book of Honor encased in the Langley CIA headquarters. Estebanez studied the thick report in front of him and tapped his pen on the North Carolina mahogany slab, which dated back to the original Bureau of Investigation. He imagined Stanley Finch sitting at his head of his table with his inaugural team of agents. You know what they say, sir, Estebanez said. Estebanez's phone buzzed. He looked at the screen. The text was from Matthew, 711. Important, but not dead or dying. No, what do they say? Harrington said. The reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Book three, chapter one, overlooked. Ahmed cursed his brother. He wanted to go home to his late model car collection, race horses and servants. He did not intend to hurt anyone. Matthew and Maria were likable. He envied them. Although he rarely smoked, he needed a break from his brother. He took a drag off the Marlboro, exhaled slowly. Behind him, the brilliant sky faded to orange and then to gray. Ahmed had been dissuaded by his brother. He prayed that his uncle would order them back to Vienna, but thus far, no such luck. He put the cigarette out on the railing and thinking of Matthew, took it in with him to throw away. The metal door whined as it closed. A chapter later, chapter two, Jane Doe, September 10th, 2001. Six miles north of Ahmed's apartment near Mattapan, and Dr. Ben Benkula's faculty townhome, a criminologist in training was attempting to unravel another mystery that befuddled crime scene investigators and technicians. At 720 Albany Street, surrounded by the Boston Medical Center and Boston University School of Medicine, in a boxy 1950s three-story red brick building, was one of the nation's busiest morgues, the Boston office of the chief medical examiner. In the basement, harsh words echoed in Maria's mind. It was like those two pipes clanging in the basement of her childhood home. The more she tried to ignore them, the louder they screamed. She hated when they fought. Matthew and his dreams lurked like an aneurysm in her mind. Wow. So tell me, Brian, where can we learn more about you and where can we purchase Perpetual? Well, it's a two-step approach. I always get kind of caught up in my own writing sometimes. The two-step approach would be, first of all, was the family and friends release, which is happening right now, brianhuey.com. So it's just my name.com. And the second stage is slowly releasing to the whole global market. So by the end of the year, the books will be available wherever books are sold. 
Brian, I cannot tell you how much I've enjoyed talking with you today. Thank you so much for taking time to introduce us to your characters in Perpetual. You've certainly given us something to think about. I'm eager to see what's coming next from you, and I do hope that when you publish your next book that you'll come back and visit with us again. Thank you for having me, Linda. I remember when the first book came out in 08, I was on the author show. It meant a lot to me, and thanks for having me. Great book with lots of action. I bought it several months ago and finally got around to reading it. The only problem now is waiting for the second book to be released. Well, that was a review I found for Brian's book one, Perpetual, and I think it's a great incentive for you to start reading as well. And I thank you for listening. Please visit theauthorshow.com to listen to other featured authors. These interviews are available to book buyers worldwide on demand every day, 24-7. And for those who like audiobooks, please check out our audio bookstore at theaudiobookmarket.com. If you have written a book and would like to be a guest on the show, visit theauthorshow.com, complete the interview request form, and we'll contact you shortly thereafter. The Author Show is a great way to market your book by getting in front of your target audience with a high-quality interview that will make a real impact. Please visit us again as we continue to bring you really great books and very interesting authors on The Author's Show. Thanks for listening to The Author's Show. Find out more about authors and their work at theauthorsshow.com. Theauthorsshow.com. Tune in next time to another great author on The Author's Show.